0: Have you lost your faith through everything you've endured, felt betrayed by the church or the people in it? You are not alone, my friend. I believe that what grieves our heart grieves the heart of our creator. And this week on the Starting Over Stronger show, I'm joined by trauma certified story coach Marcy Pusey, and we're talking about how to keep writing your faith story even when the church fails you. This is such an important topic. I hope you'll join us. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find health and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger show. Today, I am joined by Marcy Pusey, and she is a trauma-certified story coach who has a story of her own to tell, and I'm excited to hear that today. Welcome to the show, Marcy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's just start with some basics about you and and your life and who you are and whatever you want to tell us about you.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, Marcy Pusey, I always joke about starting at the beginning, born in Oceanside, California, so many, many, but not so many decades ago. I grew up in a home that had two loving parents who were still very young and had come from difficult families. And so they were learning how to heal and be healthy and be mature when that had not been modeled to them. And I was born right into that, like 11 months after they were married. Here comes first child, Marcy. And so that just, man, I get it now as a mom, looking back at my own parents, like with so much compassion and way less judgment, but it did mean that early on, I took on a message for myself. Like a story that I heard quite young was, you know, the least amount that you burden anyone or impose on anyone or contribute to any one, like the more value you have. They never said that to me and they would be mortified to think that I ever took on that message because they worked so hard, but I did. Mm -hmm. I just took on the story for myself that my worth and value came from my ability to be not just invisible because I knew I couldn't not exist, but like exist with as little imposition as possible and where possible contribute. Like if I could actually add to your life then. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hopefully by then I like deserve or have earned some love or affection or whatever. So yeah, first born, I have a younger sister who's almost five years younger than me, who was born right in the middle of a three-year separation or at the beginning of a three-year separation between my parents could not afford a divorce. So they were just separated for those three years. And didn't see a lot of my dad at the time. And then eventually they got back together. And my mom, I think I've heard her say that was for the kids. Which is such an interesting sort of mentality that you do hear out there. Like, stay with oh, yeah. the kids. Yeah. And even in my own current situation, I've been told that I'm going to destroy my children's lives for choosing to get safe and healthy. And it, it's just such an interesting False mindset and thing that we tell people. So, my mom carried that also. And so, they stay married and life remained special. Like, there was a level of recovery and healing that occurred between them. But to this day, all these years later, there's still big things that come up. And you're like, wow, this is what's been modeled for me is that you stay together no matter what, like literally no matter what. Mm So, what's interesting about that is I took that and I was like, well, yeah, this is marriage. loyal and faithful and you die. You know, there's even a Christian message there, like you die to yourself and you give up your rights and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Jesus died for us. So we die for others. And, but my sister had a really different approach to life. She was like, I will absolutely never end up in that situation. And so she's been in a few, I won't tell all of her story, but she's just taken a different journey from my, not that she's not loyal or faithful. She just saw that and was like, I'm not living that life and made decisions. And I looked at it going, oh, this is what you're supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And I did it
1: really, really well. I mean, at the cost of my own soul. So that's a little bit of like the background, maybe that helps me to understand the decisions I made, the situation I ended up in and my own health and recovery journey as a mom who's currently yeah. finalizing a divorce from an abusive marriage. So I, and then I'll, I guess I'll just throw in there. I became a social worker and a therapist and have always loved writing, but didn't know I could grow up and become a writer. So I did the, you know, the traditional school, go get the degrees and things. And so mm-hmm. we would say in that industry that we, most people end up in therapy education because they're trying to work their own stuff out. 100%, you know, yeah. and self-diagnosing the whole way through, but that now has equipped me and informed me with my own healing journey. We fostered and adopted kids. I raised kids overseas. Like there's a lot of need for therapy in our family. (laughs) I'm like, I know the tools and the resources. And now I work with that lens through storytelling. As you mentioned at the beginning, helping people to tell their stories, understanding the healing and recovery, when you share your story, when you receive story, and then just the, the power of putting your message out into the world.
0: Yeah, That's me. In a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Well, today we decided to call this episode, Keep Writing Your Faith Story, Even When the Church Fails You. And so listeners, you're going to hear a little bit more of Marcy's story and specifically with regard to her faith and the failures that she experienced and or endured within the church that she I'm assuming, previously attended, but I haven't heard the story yet, so we'll see. (laughs) So let's just start there. Um, You've mentioned a little bit about your growing up, but what was your faith tradition during those years, You know, your childhood and growing up? I always had a really
1: strong faith. I knew that God was real. I knew that He was personal and close to me, even before I had a name for Him or for religion. I remember being in kindergarten, I think. And some little boy going around asking everyone, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And I didn't know what that meant. So I was just kind of listening to how other people were answering. <laughs> so many he and I was like, yes. <laughs> and then I later asked a friend, like, what's a Christian? Oh, someone who <laughs> believes in God or whatever she said. And I was like, oh good, that is me. I didn't lie. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I didn't even really have language for it. And, but, but then my mom was actively, supporting and promoting our experience in church to the best of her ability. And again, some of those times where as a single mom, there's some fun stories there too, where she was doing her best, but I just, just loved God so much and wanted to be wherever he was that I kind of got us all back to church at times, even where she was maybe not as much active. I, I got her there. So I always knew him. I think as I got older, naturally we end up with more questions and we get more cognitive about it and we have more self-doubt and all the things that come with it. So I've realized how much I still don't know. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, um,
1: But yeah, just just always a a secure sense of
0: connection with God. Mm-hmm. And so you went from attending pretty regularly as a child to Did you continue that throughout your adulthood?
1: Off and on as a child, it wasn't, at times it was regular, but it wasn't always. At some point, Sundays were their only days off of work and they didn't want to go anywhere. So there were big chunks of time. But when I was on my own, I, like, as soon as I was living on my own, graduated high school at 17, I'm in college. I was very regular and active in church communities. I went to a Christian private university, went on lots of mission trips, like in high school and beyond, just love culture in the world and sharing Jesus with people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that has been a core part of who I am and how I've lived my whole life.
0: Okay. Well, let's get into then what kind of maybe shifted there that that would lead us to talk about having to continue writing your faith story, even though there was some failure or some hurt that it was involved in that situation.
1: Yeah, I would say in these last two years, I've been more acutely aware of the difference between Jesus and his word and his image bearers, sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And local church community and even in broader church culture. And that came through. So part of my story is that we were missionaries in Germany with a mission, participating at a Christian international school for nine years, almost full nine years. And the last year there was my 16th or 17th year of marriage. And we'd had lots of counseling. We've done all the classes, the courses, the weekend retreats, all the things. But it was still a really challenging relationship. But I still carried that belief with me that, you know, is my job to keep him happy. And if I could keep him happy, then I had some worth or value. But the hardness of our relationship was only ever communicated to me through the lens of like, but marriage is hard all marriage is hard. And I'd never been married before. So I had nothing to compare it to like, yeah. oh, I guess this is my level of hard. And it's just really hard. Fast forward. It ended up that he was abusive. He acknowledged abuse, uh, self-reported to our mission agency, our church on the mission field. And, and part of that was a result of a trauma response I had to a rage that had occurred. Rages were normal parts of the cycle that would happen throughout the house in front of the kids and targeting me. And this one particular time, I just, we call it dissociating. Like my brain basically was like, sweetie, we've given you a lot of time to keep yourself safe and figure this out. So we're actually gonna send you on a trip to the Bahamas and we're gonna send someone else to fill in. Like we're just gonna just gonna have a stand-in. We're gonna have a warm body available to the world you live in while you go vacation. And so it did feel a little split. Like I I felt like I was taking care of my sister's husband in a sense like, oh don't touch me. I'm just here to kind of like fill a space. And that another part of me like had some conscious awareness but was far away. And that actually gave me an ability to have boundaries and to not be reactive like I had been. There were some real benefits to that, but that's what caused panic, I would say, in my spouse and what caused him to recognize that his behavior was abusive and to pursue help for a time But not too long after, he had a real turnaround and decided that his behavior had never been abusive and he wasn't going to pursue help. I was accused of things instead and that any separation we were doing was over. All the boundaries we'd had in place were over and we were just going to go back to life the way it had been. And at that point, our mission felt out of their league to support us, which I'll I'll get into a little bit because they tried hard but failed miserably in their approach to helping. Us and me and the kids. And so they ended up giving us four weeks notice to pack up nine years of lives, uproot my kids from their home, like the only home they'd really known, and come back to America. And so we flew back separately, the kids and I, from him. And we've just been on a journey ever since where my experience with it has been a not a de-escalation, an escalation. It just gotten worse. Like mm-hmm. it did not, it did not get better. We didn't get back yeah. like they hoped, and things got better. Things continued to spiral. And there's a lot of new forms of abuse that occur as a result of the opportunity provided, financial abuse now and other forms of spiritual abuse. Like there's so many abuses that can occur when you're physically separated. So those, yeah, that's been part of our journey. So that's some of the story. Let me know if you've got thoughts or questions there. And then I can put my experience. Well, let's, so
0: let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned that there was maybe a little bit more to your, was it your mission to mm-hmm. the church or the organization yeah, there and all the way it. that they attempted or yeah. or didn't attempt to yeah. help in this situation? Mm-hmm. What did that look like?
1: It looked like some accusation at times around like, wow, you, you're laughing and you look light, but he looks sickly and like he's grieving. I'm really concerned for him. And so there was like a question around why I looked okay and why he looked like he was suffering. You know, there was conversations around forgiving, like, well, you just need to forgive. They wanted to set us up right after with a four day intensive of five hours a day, intense marital therapy. And my response was, if we'd come in here and I had a black eye and a broken rib and a broken arm, because I'd been physically battered in a way that you could see, would you send me to a retreat for five hours a day for four hours with my batterer? Is that what would help us? And I had to use that metaphor a lot because the suggestions and the things they wanted for us were so disconnected from the reality of abuse. It was like, save the marriage at all costs. It wasn't about prioritizing my health, my safety, the health or safety of my kids. They probably disagree, but my experience was, if you're asking me to do these things, you're not prioritizing our safety your health. I had a work trip that was coming up and they said, no, you can't go. You need to be home as much as possible right now. Again, are you going to say that to someone that you see is physically battered? Would you say, because my soul has been battered, my emotions, my psyche, like there's a battering that you can't see. And so is that the approach you would take if I needed a hospital? Would you say, no, you can't go to the hospital. You need to be home as much as possible right now. And the answer is usually no, we wouldn't give you that same advice. And yet it continued to be the approach. No, you can't do a physical separation, but you can do an in-house separation. It was really about managing their image and the appearance of the mission and of the church. It was a lot more about coming around my spouse in compassion and love and restoration and letting the other three of us continue to drown in the things they couldn't see behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And I understand that we had done life in a very small community for a while, and it's hard to wrap your head around someone, you know, acknowledging how they've been behind closed doors. And I get it. But there was such a message at the school where we worked of like, man, when a child comes with any allegation of abuse, we listen, we respond, we take action. And I said, can a wife, can we trade out a kid student? Could we trade out student and put wife? And and the sentences were this, still very supportive if we put wife there. But no, I wasn't afforded the same kind of support at the Christian International School. Now, this isn't everyone on campus, right? But the leadership that were interacting with me mm-hmm. perpetuated abuse.
0: Yeah.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, there's, yeah. there's examples of it. The local church never reached out to me. I'd been part of that church for nine years. Nobody on the leadership reached out to me whatsoever. Our mission.
0: Do you mean the sending church here in America?
1: No. Um. They only knew once they were told. Well, even once they were told, we didn't hear anything. So no, same. Our local church in Germany is what I was referring to. Then we had a member care team, very supportive and active with my spouse, did not reach out to me at all until I made a comment about how no one had reached out to me. Then I got reached out. And at that point I was like,
0: yeah, kind of meaningless at that point.
1: So I ended up finding a Christian counselor nearby at a retreat center where I could stay. And she was at that time, the only voice in my life uh, promoting my health and safety And not through the lens of that looks like divorce, just, Hey, we don't even need to talk about divorce or marriage. Let's make sure you're safe and healthy. Mm -hmm. And then a local German doctor was the same. I went in for some medication. I knew I needed some help. I was having panic attacks as a result of all that was going on and other traumas, physical trauma symptoms. And he was like, you need to get a bag and you need to be ready to call the police if you need to. And I left that office crying, like you're a German like strangers, in a sense, you're a doctor. And yet my intimate faith community that I've been serving with for nine years cannot say those words. And a few of them even went beyond that to already say, if you divorce, you are sinning, you're destroying the lives of your children. Why aren't you trusting God more? Why aren't you believing God for miracles? You know." And so I'm also then not just getting the silence from all the places I mentioned, But where at times there wasn't silence, this like weaponizing of scripture and of my faith, instead of "Are you okay? What do you need? Mm. How can we support you? What what does safety look like for you?" Yeah. And then when we got dropped off back in the states, we had one supporting church that helped supported us financially for a transition period, but was very limited in the ways they felt they could support otherwise. And then our other sending church, I got called in and it was made very, very clear to me that I was, my perception of the conversation was I'm a threat to the church. I'm a threat to the Bible study I attend. I could stop sinning if I want to by, after we'd been here a number of months, I filed for divorce. So I could stop sinning if I would end the divorce. I didn't need therapy. I just needed more prayer. And I was taking the easy way out by choosing to uproot my life and my kids and, you know, lose the security of my finances. <laughs> like, I was choosing the easy way out. Like a lot of hard-hearted people do, like what? Mm. So I had no idea the degree to which misogyny is real in our church communities, mm. ignorance around types of abuse and yes. is real. I didn't know the degree to which the idolization of the marital contract overrode the value of other humans within that contract until I'm drowning and having to coach everyone on how to save me at the same time.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I have to say, um, although I, I feel that you're at a place now where you, you have certainly gotten affirmed in in your experience, I affirm it again because it is just unbelievably common and tragic. I've talked a number of times here on the Starting Over Stronger show about you know church abuse in various forms, and this being one of the predominant ones that I've spoke on because of my own experience with pastors and and church people judging me and re-victimizing me and telling me that I just needed to pray more and be more submissive and all of those kinds of things that I really want to believe they're well-meaning people. And they really just believe that crap, but it's really hard when you get freed from it and you look back and you see the absolute ludicracy of it and how much it must grieve the heart of our creator and our savior. I just, I cannot imagine how anyone could be so blind to the humanitarian wounding (laughs) that happens every single time callous phrases like that are used and I love how you said the idolization of the marriage contract. That's a great way to put it because I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, I've always felt like in church that my marriage mattered more than me. And I don't think God thinks that way.
1: Oh, I, the second church that I mentioned, we were in, I loved that church so much. And I still, I still do, even though I know I cannot participate in that fellowship anymore. I know it's leadership and not the whole body, right? It's the leadership, but uh, we were sitting in a sermon one day and they said it was on parenting. And the number one tip for how to be a godly parent was stay married. And I, I just like, I probably had fight or flight in the service a bit with like, you just handed every abuser in here a weapon. You mm-hmm. cannot be a godly parent if you leave me. And so I wrote a letter as a therapist. They knew a little bit already at that point. We hadn't had the conversation, but that we were back and there were some things going on. And I just said, you know, man, as a trauma and resilience certified practitioner, I hear that language and it's not trauma informed. And I'd love to help you think through a trauma lens with messages that come from the pulpit if you want that. You know, I kept it real short. Like I had the the letter. I <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> rewrote it to the one I sent and I think I just said for example that comment about stay married what if it was honor your co- like honor your covenant relation or on your covenant agreement or relationship or what if we call people to account and that is how we are godly parents versus maintain a contract between the two of you and you know it was dismissed <laughs> and so it, I want to say the abuse of the church felt more painful in some ways than the 17 years of abuse with my spouse, they're not really comparative. The one was killing me, but I knew the pattern of it. It was predictable. I knew how to read the signs. And I did feel like I was dying inside. And there were lots of evidences of that beginning to manifest in my body, but I knew what to expect. But this church thing completely blindsided me. And then it just happened over and over and over. So there was almost like, you hurt worse because you, I have been like a faithful member of this community. And I thought we shared values, understood the word together. It just felt like the biggest betrayal that the place where Jesus says that he comes to the brokenhearted and to the wounded, that it would be those very people that the church would come up against and side with abusers.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I and I say, I, the way I say that is, like you said earlier, there's so many different types of abuse. There's emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, you know, I could go on. <laughs> yeah. But the one I think that wounds the most is spiritual because it should be the most sacred. It, yeah. So it becomes the most betrayal to me. That's how I kind of frame it.
1: It's such a sacred, safe place. It should be. And because then- you know that
0: humans fail and you know that humans are going to fail each other. So when marriage fails, even though it's devastating, you can reconcile that in your mind because we're both humans and we both have issues and bad childhoods or whatever we have that's led us in this, this moment. But, but how are you called of God to perform this ministry role in people's lives And yet you're so clueless about how to love like Christ.
1: So real. Yeah, that was supposed to be a safe place. And again, I know it's made up of people, but the amount of people who were, who perpetuated abuse, who who re-harmed is astounding. I don't want to say it felt like Jesus. I think I had a clear distinction between the way his people show up and his heart, Mm -hmm. but I had to unravel a ton of what had been indoctrinated into me as the truth around God's heart for marriage versus what the word actually says.
0: And so I don't
1: think I went to a place of like, God's not real, but I went to has anything I've ever been taught about him real. And I'd have to remind myself I've read the Bible over and over and over and over and over. I listen so I had to like ground myself in some truth. Like, not everything I know is a lie. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. But it but does. I mean, lie. you know, you used the word indoctrination, and and the immediate thought that I had was this visual of the people sitting in church listening to the pastor sharing his interpretation of God's word and oftentimes saying, the Bible says, God's word says. And Because we are supposed to be able to believe those in leadership in church, how many times did we hear a message like that, which was in fact not what God's word says or what the Bible says? And so then you get to a place, and I'll speak for myself, not you, where, you know, when we talk about writing your faith story with when the church has failed you, for myself and for a lot of people, that involves no longer allowing anyone else to interpret God's word for me. Yeah ever again. I can't imagine that I would ever be okay with that again, because more than once, in fact, three different times in my life, three different churches, three different pastors abused that privilege in a way that devastated me and and or my family. And so what I learned through that the hard way was that God's word is a love letter to me. It is for me to interpret in my personal relationship with Him. And it is not to be determined by someone else who may or may not even be in right relationship with God.
1: Oh, that's so good.
0: Are you getting the support you need as you divorce or face the possibility of divorce? Did you know that for just $55 a month, you can be a part of a one-hour weekly support group call of people just like you? Some haven't even filed yet, but they know the marriage is not sustainable or healthy. Some were served papers they didn't want. Others are feeling empowered that they finally took the reins of their life and hired an attorney and a divorce coach to help them navigate the uncertain waters of divorce. All of them are facing fear, grief, loss, confusion, and pain, and they're finding help and hope in a Starting Over Stronger support group. You can get registered today for a group at startingoverstronger.com groups and start this week in getting the help you need to divorce well and then live well. Remember, divorce is hard. Life after doesn't have to be, but the support you get now is what makes the difference. So how do you, where do you sit with that?
1: One piece of my journey has been a recognition that also somewhere I was taught to be afraid of certain people and to call them certain things, right? So in my own marriage, I would hear a lot about the feminists and the ones trying to like uproot the Christian home by giving women rights. And, you know, it's not really true that there's a gender gap in the pay and like all these things. And to listen for me to just say, what is going on in the world related to gender? I was opening up myself to feminism and postmodern liberal, whatever, there were all these like the names for mm-hmm. my desire to learn. And I also felt like that can't be all wrong. Like, but it sounds like there is a gap in the gender pay. Like I'm not even talking about really, that is a big issue, but you know, there's a lot of other things that I can see where people would be like, Oh, careful, careful listening to that person. But Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, but what if there is a gap and why can't we talk about that and address it? So I think for me, I started listening to Natalie Hoffman at Flying High and Flying Free, Fly Free, Flying High. One of those. She was the first voice. She has a podcast as well. That, in my experience, that someone sent to me, that said I could be a Christian and pursue my own health and safety, even if that came through a divorce. And I remember the first podcast I listened to. Like I had such boundaries and filters. Like, is she a heretic? <laughs> does she does she actually know God's word? Or are we? Because so many people will rewrite scripture to justify their experience. So I'm not interested in that. I want Jesus and I want the truth of his word. And I, I don't want to rewrite it to fit my comfort level, but I also want to unravel what, like you said, has been interpreted for me without an actual awareness of what it's saying. What's the context there? Who are they talking mm-hmm. to? And those are things I've cared about. But so for, for one, then I've sought out people that I think are genuine believers Christ-following Bible-believing believers yeah. who talk about these things and make space for the conversation. And I've learned so much as a result. And it hasn't rewritten scripture for me. It's actually revealed scripture to me. One mm-hmm. example real quick is that the God hates divorce. I've been told that a lot and I believed it. And I still think he probably does. And I even, I'll just throw my own vulnerability out here. When my sister was 19, 19 to 21, she ended up in a divorce. And I don't remember this, but she said that when she told us, my first words were, but but God hates divorce. I recoil now to think I ever could have been one of those people, but I also am humbled by it. Like I mm-hmm. I have to reserve some level of judgment to people who say those things because oh, I absolutely that person.
0: Yeah. I was um, one of them too. I used to say divorce oh. is never the answer that's the way i put it over time divorce is never the answer
1: no and i i you know i apologize i'm aware of why i thought that and said it yeah. but it's also quoted to us as scripture in malachi and it actually doesn't say that there's a whole story there gretchen baskerville wrote a book called the life-saving divorce and she lays out all of these like incredible <laughs> facts and historical references and studies and one of them is on the history of the translations And King James was the first one, I believe, to change what it said to say that God hates divorce. Every translation up to that. And now again, they've reverted back to the original translation, which is something to the effect of a man who hates his wife and divorces her, should not cover in her in violence. I'm totally butchering that, you guys. Go look that up for yourself. But look (laughs) up a current version. But it doesn't say God hates divorce. It actually is talking about the violence that a man does against his wife. Mm -hmm. And then we see in, I believe it's, Jeremiah, that God actually writes a certificate of divorce to Israel for their lack of faithfulness. And so, yeah, you know what? I bet he does hate divorce, but it doesn't say that. It it doesn't say that. It says that men should not treat their women violently.
0: (laughs) Or or maybe the interpretation of his hate for divorce is the grief that must be going on in the lives and the hearts of the people who must resort to that. And, and that's not the I actual understood. act of it. Yeah.
1: That has been how I've understood it. Is you know yeah. what? I bet whether it says that or not, he does hate it because the grief, the the betrayal, the harm, the pain mm. that has caused anyone to ever even get to that doorstep of possibility is so big. And if he grieves with us, like it says, then absolutely he, he hates that. He hates yeah. that for us. I hate it for us. I yeah. hate it for everyone who's ever had to experience even thinking about divorce being an option because the pain is so big. But yeah. that that's an example of a misquoted scripture that gets thrown around and weaponized so much. Oh yeah. And yet if we actually go read our own bibles and we're we're reading a good translation because they're not all created equal, right? We're doing some research and understanding the translations where they came from, how they translate, we can see that God's heart and his character is consistent throughout. Yeah. I think some people get confused. Well, it says he's loving and it says he cares for us, but it also says that I'm not allowed to get safe or be healthy. Like, no, it actually doesn't. There, mm-hmm. I, I won't go into it too much. There's another, the passage where Jesus is addressing whether divorce can be through adultery or other means. Like there's mm-hmm. a whole context there that people miss. Like he's talking oh, yeah. to Jews, two sects of Jews who mm-hmm. already have an understanding. One says abuse, neglect, abandonment, and adultery. The other one says abuse, neglect, abandonment, and anything else. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is coming to solve while well, he's speaking into their disagreement. What is written is his response, which is, well, and adultery. So everyone reads that, oh, you can only get divorced if it's adultery. And we miss the context that both of those Jewish groups already agreed on abandonment, neglect, and abuse. Mm-hmm. And Jesus doesn't say except for abuse or except for abandonment or except, you know. So mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, like we throw this at, well, Mercy, he didn't have an affair. He didn't have sex physically with another human. So you're not, you don't actually have grounds to leave. Wow. Yeah. That's not what it says. Actually. Yeah.
0: And that- the problem there is that most likely that those people, myself included, once upon a time, just left that to, left the interpretation of that to. Absolutely. The professionals. <laughs> and yeah. and therefore, I yeah. just believed what I was told about that. And I just truly believed that the worst thing in the world that I could ever do was divorce.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so that kept me trapped in that system for much longer than was healthy for me or my children. So that, that's really what we're we're kind of wrapping all of this story yeah. today in is just that understanding that... The church is made up of humans and humans routinely fail one another. And so we cannot give away our our necessary common sense and our own interpretation of God's word and our own relationship with God. In other words, how are we going to keep writing our faith story when the church fails us? And so- Let's yep. transition to that now. How, how would you summarize how you've kept writing your story in spite of it all? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think the primary thing is just having had a clear distinction between who God is and how his people sometimes represent them. And those get muddied in the hearts of people all the time, all the time right? It's so easy to project our human experience onto this God. And so his word and my personal experience with him are so clearly in favor of, of me as a human, regardless of what I've done or where I've been, the grace and the mercy and all of it is so available to me. And I'm able to have that as an anchor. In the storm of other people misrepresenting him, misspeaking for him, using his word as a weapon. So that has been, I would say, the crucial part of my ability to rewrite a faith story versus unwrite a faith story or erase a faith story. And I understand why people do. There's no judgment there. Just sadness, deep, deep sadness. So that has been a piece of it. And then that has also caused me to kind of what you've said, just dive in so deep in his word and understanding what does it actually say? And, you know, a lot of it is what I was taught. It says, so I don't mean to say the church has never taught me anything true about it, but specifically in the area of the value or lack of value of women, the idolization of the role of wife, even among womanhood, that's newer in our last century or whatever. Mm-hmm. It used to be virginity and being the single unmarried woman that was the idol. So it's even, yeah. you can see the shift. So understanding context and history and human contribution, maintaining the separation of who God is. And then I actually am now in a healthy church community. Again, I had before though, I committed, I met with the pastor and I was like, listen, <laughs> <laughs> I like you, but if this is going to work, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I need to know if this is a safe place. Mm-hmm. And that went really well. And I've seen that lived out through their actions regularly, but mm-hmm. I would say I still now have a, a healthy Also distinction. I think I would just blend with my faith community and they would become my home and my people and my family. And, and I, I'm like, I'm one with you and you're one with me. And so that heartbreak was so big, but now I feel like I'm able to go as my own unique individual and love the community and participate with them. Mm -hmm. but not lose myself in them. So therefore, if one does say something off or that I don't agree with, or that isn't supportive or whatever, which someday they'll do because they're human. Mm -hmm. Like I have enough separation that I can make space for that to be their journey and it not totally devastate me like it has. So I think that's a healthy individuation. I think I just haven't had that. that. And the other piece too, then is that God has shown me that I have value and worth outside of what I can do or earn, Mm -hmm. that it was never my responsibility to keep someone happy in order to feel lovable. And I didn't just bring that to my marriage. I brought that to every relationship. And so the healing there has supported that individuation. Like now I can give because I want to Mm
0: -hmm. with
1: no expectation of like a value swap. Mm -hmm. And I know where that lies. So that's been the part of rewriting my faith journey is like knowing who I am, who he's made me to be, knowing who he is, regardless of how other people represent him. Mm -hmm. And then being able to show up as that individual in spaces of faith Mm -hmm. and support and love, but also understand that we're all in a different spot on the journey. Yeah, and I told my sister God hates divorce. Someone's told me that. And I want to just now speak life and truth into those conversations when I can and be supportive to people who need it um, mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't have. But as a result, yeah, of knowing who I am and knowing who he is.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Wow. That's so powerful. I also love what you said about just being able to really tap into your own experience in in church. I don't know, you didn't word it that way, but just what I take away from what you said is that on your own journey... You, and everyone, if you attend church, everyone that you pass in the hallway or sit next to in the pews is also on their own journey. And that includes the person behind the pulpit and being able to differentiate you from them and, and their story from your story is so important. I love I love how you said that. So, thank you for joining me today and for sharing your story. One of the other topics that you and I discussed as a possible subject today was the stories we tell ourselves. And I think that's also um, an important way to frame, even in this topic, really, because, you know, when we are stuck in religiosity and believing you know errant versions of, of truth from the scriptures. Really, what we are doing is telling ourselves stories, and we're allowing those stories to to determine how we're going to conduct our lives. And, and if that particular story is keeping someone trapped in a cycle of abuse, it's a story that needs to be rewritten. And so, you know, I think that this is just such an important. Subject here today that I hope listeners have really grabbed a hold of and taken something away from here today that they can take action on to change their current situation, whatever that might be. It's
1: so good. Yeah. I, there's a, one of the stories I used to tell myself was that I wasn't worth fighting for. And I was told that directly too, that I would not be fought for if I ever made a decision to leave. And mm-hmm. I believed it like, oh yeah. oh yeah, I'm not worth fighting for. And then once we got back and that proved to be the, the experience, like we were, I did not experience being fought for or our marriage being fought for that. I heard the script change in my heart as a result of just the growth that I was experiencing, which was, it's not that I'm not worthy of fighting for It's that some people are not fighting, are not able or capable of fighting for very worthy things yeah, or for very worthy people. I was yeah. able to maintain a sense of worth and value and have compassion on someone who for whatever reasons either wasn't capable or was choosing not to fight for things that are so worth fighting for. And yeah. that puts the responsibility where it belongs also mm-hmm. that then it becomes just such a good example for me to of the way our stories can change. We oh, can yeah. yeah. actively create new ones and, mm-hmm. or sometimes we'll just notice in our own growth and healing that they have changed. That was kind of that one, like, oh, oh, that's a different message than the one I normally hear. And it's Mm -hmm. really good. And it's true. And I like it. Yeah, But it's such an important part of our experience. And that's what I do as a trauma certified story coach, as well as I help people get their messages into the world. But because of all of my therapeutic background, I know that telling our stories requires us to feel them again. And that Mm -hmm. is painful and uncomfortable, especially stories like these, like, I don't want to sit in and feel the experience of my whole faith community for nine years, turning their backs on me. And some of them pushing me further under the water when I was Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, when I was already drowning, I don't want to sit in that, but God calls us to remember and not just the hard things, but the ways that he was present and showed up for us in those hard things. Mm -hmm. And so when I choose to intentionally remember with the question of God, where were you? Or where are you? In that memory or in that situation, it has radically reframed some of the experiences I had and worked them around. And so I just think that's such an important part of putting our own messages in the world. And you're doing this so good, even through this platform and coaching that you do, creating spaces for people to share their story is such a healing agent. Mm
0: -hmm. I've got
1: a TEDx talk or two on story and the brain and trauma and the brain. And it's just so incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. when we when we when we share them so thank yeah. you yeah for creating such a sort of space for that for people and normalizing the journey that so many of us have been on quietly alone in mm-hmm. silos like to say no you're not alone there's a community
0: um, yeah. let's
1: talk about the hard things and let's share yeah. our stories and then let's do better
0: yeah absolutely and that you're not alone is such a prevailing thread of that I deal with on a regular basis. You know, when I connect with somebody, oftentimes it's right before during a divorce in a situation where they are actively being abused, either emotionally, psychologically, financially, or or all of the above. And, And the stories they're telling themselves are oftentimes just the stories that somebody else has been telling them for long enough. So it's really not their story And I get to be a part of helping them to realize that that's somebody else's story, that you're just echoing, but you actually do have a story and you can change your story. And, you know, only you can do that. And so here's how. (laughs) And so it's a very, very, it's just such a blessing and so rewarding to be able to help people make those connections in their own mind, like I once had to. And so thank you for... Thank you for being here, for sharing your story and for allowing others to hear that they can change theirs as well.
1: Absolutely, you're welcome. Thanks for entrusting your audience to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us today. I hope that you have heard something here today that would allow you to take a different action in your life that would make all the difference for you, whatever that might be. And so obviously we've shared a lot here today. And oftentimes I will I will remind listeners right now just to stop. And when when the outro music plays and it's all gone and done for this week, you would actually just pause for a moment and think about what rises to the surface for you. What What is the most predominant thought that you have right now in this moment in the wake of of hearing Marcy's story today that that would make a difference in your life? And then what one action can you take based on that? And so I, I encourage you to do that today because truly only you can keep writing your faith story when there's failure all around you, if that's in your marriage or that's in the church or wherever that is. You have a lot of power and control in your life. And in fact, you're the only one that does. So keep writing your faith story. Keep writing your your life story. And uh, we'll see you again here next week for more help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.